Over the last three weeks, we've been going to a series of messages on births. We looked at the birth of man. We looked at the birth of sin. Last week, we looked at the birth of Christ. Today, we're going to visit what it means to be reborn, what it means to be born again, what it means to be born to the second power, how we as human beings can be impacted by Christ's coming and his birth changes everything for us and how we can be reborn, as the Bible says, or born again, or what it means to be born to the second power. It means you were born once physically, but there's something that takes place that allows us to be born to the second power, to be born spiritually. And when that happens, it's a game changer. And so we've been watching in each of our service today, watching people being reborn, watching Christ save their souls. And, and even in this message, we'll give you a chance to visit, to contemplate, to ask the question, Am I reborn? Am I born again? Should I be born again? What does it mean to be born to the second power? If you're a math student, you ever been through math, you know that there is a number. And when you put a to the second power above that, it means you take that base number and you multiply or times it by two. You take or multiply it by itself. Three to the second power is three times three is nine. Two to the second power is two times two is four. It goes from that number to a whole nother number to something that's far more than that. And so something must happen to us when we are reborn, when we are born again, when we are born to the second power. How does that happen? When Jesus said that in the Bible, that we must be born again, how does that take place? Well, let me give you a little example that something must take place when you go from two to four, when you go from three to nine. Something has to take place when you go from a physical birth to a spiritual birth. When Ann and I were first married, we spent a lot of time on the river in, in Hagerstown water skiing. We owned a ski boat. And, and a lot of the evenings after work, we would work our way down to the Potomac River and we would water ski. In the first three or four years of our marriage, we spent a lot of time water skiing. And we would often take the youth group that we were involved with and we would water ski there. It was a great time to spend on the water. But it's different than here in the lakes in Indiana. In the river in in Hagerstown, Maryland or on the East Coast, when you would put your boat into the water, the current ran against you. And so you had to be very careful in order to reload the boat. Because as you were putting your boat on the trailer, you had to navigate in such a way with the current to line it up and put it on. So people would literally come to places, dock ramps in Hagerstown or Potomac River or Hancock. They would come there and literally they would watch, bring out a lawn chair and they would watch people try to put their boats on their trailers (laughs) because it was very difficult. There are all kinds of stories. That was their Sunday afternoon. That was their Saturday afternoon. Watch people try to do that. And one of the very first times that Ann and I ever visited the Potomac River to put our boat in was one in which there were some people there, but we were trying to back our truck in some sand, put our boat in the water. We were able to do that. We were get, took our first maiden voyage and we went down to Potomac River And so then we had to put the boat back on the trailer. It's very, very difficult, to be quite frank, when you haven't done it many times. And it makes it even more difficult when people are watching you do that. But as I recall, (laughs) as we were beginning to load this boat on this trailer, we were able to navigate in such a way, brought the truck in, backed it in, we're able to navigate in such a way that we're able to get the trailer on, or the boat on the trailer. 
Yet what we forgot to do, and what I forgot to do, what I forgot to think about is we had to drive away. It was easy to back in, but the ground was soft. The sand was soft. And so I recall, as I best recall, that as we tried to pull the boat and trailer away, it began to spin. The tires spun. And I remember thinking, why, we might be stuck here. We're going to look like fools. We can't even pull the boat out of the water. But then I had one of those moments where, oh, I know what I can do. And I remember Ann was outside of the boat or the truck. She was standing there. And I remember that not only was our truck a two-wheel drive, but it was a four-wheel drive. But we had it in two-wheel drive. And I remember thinking, all I have to do is take this little lever that says too low and move it to four high. Go from two power to four power. And if you're not a truck enthusiast, you understand two-wheel drive means only two wheels turn and drive your vehicle. So in that moment, the boat was trying to come out, but only two rear wheels were pulling out the boat and they were spinning. But what I forgot to do is no, I could take a whole nother power. I could go to the second power of two and I could take that little lever. And I remember I turned my hat backwards and I put it in four and I draw right out of there. It was like, whoa, it's kind of like it is for us. We can move from two wheel drive to four wheel drive. We can move from physical birth to spiritual birth. But the birth with Christ is so much better, so much more than you can ever imagine. And so Jesus came at Christmas for us. And he came to show us that we can be reborn, born again, born to the second power. Grab your Bibles and we're going to go on a journey. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. And if you don't have a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will put a Bible in your hand. Turn to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 5 through 11 today. As soon as you find that, stand and we'll read it together. Philippians chapter 2, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Turn with me, Philippians chapter 2. Everyone stand as we read God's word. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Let's read this out loud together. Read this with me. I'll be reading from the NIV, the 2011 version. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Read it with me. Ready, read. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the names above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. You may have a seat. Christmas then literally is the homecoming of Jesus. Christmas is a story of God coming from heaven and coming to earth. He's coming from a place because he loves us. And when you love someone, you're willing to leave the place that you're from to go to a place where people are that are different than you. People that are religious people, people that are far from God. And so when you love someone, you leave your place and go to their place. And so Jesus is doing that. Christmas is a homecoming for Jesus. And by the way, Jesus' travel plans often get overlooked when it comes to Christmas. 
We forget that he had to, what he had to go through to get here. Have you ever considered that? We neglect to realize that Jesus was something pretty spectacular before he was born as a baby in a manger over 2,000 years ago. And even more importantly is this, we tend to forget the cost of this downgrade or demotion that Jesus took to get here. In fact, this passage in Philippians 2 is called the Great Incarnation Passage. And if you were to look at the word incarnate, it means to put on flesh. It means to incarnate, to to become flesh and blood and move into the neighborhood. Jesus put on flesh and blood and he moved into the neighborhood. Jesus incarnated himself. That's why this passage is called the Great Incarnation, the Kenosis Passage. It's where God emptied himself and was willing to come to us. He left heaven and came to earth. He did not consider equality with God something to be grass. I mean, look at that again in in, in verse 6. Who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And I want to say, are you kidding me? Like, you let me be God for 10 minutes, I'm not giving it up. And he was willing to leave heaven and come to earth. He was obedient, it says, even to death and death on the cross. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you and I so much that he was willing to leave heaven to come to earth with us. He had a God status way before he was born in the manger. Something, oh, is that when Jesus started? No, Jesus has always been, has always will be. But there was a time, as we understand, a time stamp that he entered the world as a baby and was born to a virgin we saw last week. To Mary, and he was conceived by the Holy Spirit so that sin couldn't be passed down through him through a father, and he was the perfect God son baby man on planet earth. He had God's status way before he came to earth. He was the dude that should have sat in first class. He was given the best seat in the restaurant. He should have had everything that a VIP person should have, yet he never took that route. He chose to come at a moment's notice and he didn't receive preferential treatment in any venue. Now think about that for a second. He's a VIP. Like there should have been a, a, a moment where everything stopped in Bethlehem when Jesus came. Like Jesus is coming. They actually thought he'd come as a political king, but he came quietly. He was born in a manger and he came without any fanfare. Have you ever been in the presence of someone great? as we would say on planet earth, someone significant, someone, someone, a movie star, an athlete. Have you ever been in a room, like maybe it's a musician that you like, where they receive VIP special treatment? Have you ever been beside someone and, and, and or maybe you, you went to a restaurant or you try to get their autograph and you try to sneak a selfie? I'm with them. Have you ever just name dropped someone just to let people know, hey, I was, a, I was at a concert and I got a picture taken with them. Jesus is the VIP of the VIPs. Yet he came in a very humble, humble way. I remember one time I was flying to Pennsylvania to have a speaking engagement. And it was going to be a real quick turnaround. I was going to fly into BWI airport, go and speak, have someone pe- pick me up at this, this airport, go and speak, and then turn around and fly back home to Indiana. So the plan was in place. I would fly from South Bend, fly to BWI, have someone pick me up, take me to this place in Pennsylvania and speak. And so I was en route. We landed in BWI airport. And as we landed in BWI airport, I grabbed my smartphone and I texted the person who was going to pick me up. I said, hey, we landed. 
be about 15, 20 minutes. I'll get my luggage. I'll meet you. And we can drive to this place. I was ready to go and, and, and speak at this engagement. But when we landed, I noticed we weren't moving. So I thought, oh, they're just waiting for some other planes to take the spot. Five minutes turned into 10. 10 turned into 20. 20 turned into 30. 30 turned into 40. 45 turned into an hour. Before I know, we were on the tarmac for an hour and a half. And the, and the pilot comes on and he says, we're sorry for the, the interruption and the delay. He said, there's some technical difficulties that I can't explain to you right now, so just hold on. I'm going to think, great, i got to get to the speaking engagement. So I continued to text this person and say, I don't know how long we're going to be delayed. I don't know why we're delayed. It turned into two and a half hours. To make a long story short, I had to change my clothes in the car to go to the speaking engagement. We were so late. Found out later why at BWI. Why, why, why did we get delayed? Why didn't they let us land? We found out that Air Force One had landed at BWI. And so they moved all the other jets, all the other planes. The President of the United States had landed. He got preferential treatment. He got first class treatment. He got VIP treatment. Because he was the President. Yet when Christ came, there wasn't even any room for him in the guest house, in the room, no room in the end. And he was born in the manger. Why? He came and he humbled himself. And Paul says in this passage that we should take on the same mind of Christ when he came. The second person of the Trinity didn't consider equality with God something to be taken advantage of. No big deal to him. The God who holds, Colossians says, holds the world together. Didn't consider that he should have taken a five-star hotel to find a place to be born. He didn't consider being equal with God something to be grass. Like, who seriously does that in our world? How many of us would ever downgrade regularly? Imagine if you're flying. Imagine, just, just imagine if you have first-class tickets. And you go up to the counter of the airport that you're at and you're ready to catch your flight. And you walk up and you hand them your tickets and you hand them your ID. And they look at you and say, hey, Mr. Brown, nice to meet you. Can I help you? And you say, yeah, I have first class tickets. And they say, yes, how can I help you? I'd like to downgrade. I'd like to fly economy and coach. In fact, can you stick me in the middle and put someone in the aisle seat and someone in the window seat and put me by the toilet? Like, who does that in our world? No one does, except for Jesus. Paul said, that's the mindset we should take. We should take on the mindset of Christ, humble ourselves. And when Christ came, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, where every knee will bow and every tongue confess, he decided that he would humble himself and be reduced to not VIP, but no one knew at all. Consider what he was willing to do for us. It was no big deal for him. Have you ever flown first class? By the the way, how many have ever flown first class? I did one time. In fact, my family did. It was, it was incredible. Like I've flown, flown many, 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 many times all around the world. And it was, it was, it was by a mistake. And so we found out that the booking agent that booked our tickets couldn't get us any seats. We were in Thailand visiting our kids at Asia's Hope. And, and we were flying back from, from Thailand, from Bangkok to, from, to Chiang Mai, Thailand. It was about a two hour flight. And we found out that the only tickets available were first class. Like, okay, we'll take them. Like, and so we go to the airport. Now, if you've never flown, we, I've never flown first, first class. You know, I've never sat in the holies of holies where they close the curtain after everyone sits back there. Like, I've never done that. I remember all of us sitting down. It's like we sat down. They, you get to get on the plane first, the jet 
And I mean, those seats, it's like, man, you sit there and <laughs> And people come walking on and you say, just keep on going back. Just keep on going back. Just keep on going back. We sat there and even the water tastes better there. And I, I and something strange happens to you and you fly an economy and that's how I always fly a uh, coach. And, and usually when you land your airplane and you wait for that, that, that bell, to, it goes beep and you jump out of your seat. You go up and grab your stuff. You're ready to get out of there. You know what you do in first class? You just sit there. You land, you let them serve you and you drink the water and you hug the seat before you leave. It's like, it's, it's incredible. Jesus gave up first class when he came to earth. He humbled himself. Why? Because someone had to come and be a perfect man to die on the cross for us. He came because he loved us. He was a VIP. He was the second person of the Trinity, yet he reduced himself to literally an embryo. He reduced himself from the second person of the Trinity to an embryo. Have you ever considered that an embryo? Just think about that for a second. An embryo, when it starts, science and and doctors tell us, when an embryo starts, it is literally, when it begins, it's reduced to the size of a grain of salt. Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, every knee shall bow, the second person of Trinity, who spoke creation into being, reduced himself to the size of an embryo, a grain of salt. Jesus came and he humbled himself to that. Who does that in our world? Jesus does. Why? Because he loves us. Think about that for a second. Wrap your mind around that. That's what Christmas is. It's the homecoming of Christ humbling himself because someone needed to rescue us. Wrap your mind. Have you ever had a chance like to be rich and famous? Have you ever had a chance like to be someone? Like, oh, if I could just be them. Oh, if I could just have the privilege of that person. Oh, if I could just find myself in, those pres- in that presence. I remember our family, we enjoy driving up and in, in vacationing in Mackinac up in the Gaylord area. And so we, over the last couple of years, we get a cabin up in Gaylord area and then we, we go golfing and we spend some time at the water and we go to, one of the things we love to do is go to Mackinac Island and take the ferry across the water to go to Mackinac Island. By the way, if you live in northern Indiana and you've never been to Mackinac Island, husbands, if you've never taken your wife, shame on you. You go there. It's a great day trip. In any case, and I saw some wives go like this. <laughs> take your kids there. It's a great day trip. So you have to take a ferry across the water and you get to Mackinac Island. And so on one of the trips, we were driving there and we decided we'd go to St. Ignace. And when we got to St. Ignace, it's a place that launches the ferry and it takes you over to Mackinac Island. And so on our way there, we were in a van at the time. It was a, a, a 2000 Ford Windstar van. And we were excited. We were on vacation. And as we went there, we were looking for a place to park. But as we came into St. Ignis, we realized, man, there were all these modeled cars, all these sport cars, all these hot rods. And, you know, growing up, I spent a lot of time under the hood of cars. I had, a, you know, Camaros and I, I had Novas and I had uh, Chevy 2 Novas. And so we're driving us. Man, look at that 68 Nova. Man, look at that 73 Camaro. Man, look at that 66 Deuce and Ends. Look at that Mustang. It was like, man, there were hot rides. And we've soon found out that this place, St. Ignace, even the Speed Channel, Dave to Spain, they even come there every year. It's one of the largest places for a car show in America. They drive from all over. And we just happened to be there that day. And so we're driving in. And I said, let's pull into the parking lot and let's look at cars. So we got out, the five of us. 
We're looking at cars. Man, the hoods were up, and I was like a kid in the candy shop. We realized time's getting away from us. We got to go catch this ferry to go out across the water to get to Mackinac Island. So I wasn't really thinking, nor were any of us at time. And so we got in our van, you know, it's, it's a 2000 Ford Windstar, 170,000 miles. It's got cancer spots on the back, but it still ran. It's our kind of vehicle. We run them until they drop and then we get another one and run it till it drops. So we got in the van and as I'm pulling out of the parking lot to go to the launch place for the, the ferry that takes you to Mackinac Island, I noticed, wow, there's a 68 Camaro. Wow, there's a 73, there, there, there's a 73 Camaro. Wow, there's a 66 Deuce. And so I, I pulled out and they slowed down and I slid right in lines like, man, I got to get in front of them. And before I realized, I didn't know, but that weekend they also had a car parade and we were in the parade. <laughs> I am serious. One of the largest car parades ever happens there. And they had it on Speed Channel. They had cameramen everywhere. So, you know what? I just owned it. I just owned it. <laughs> so I threw my car, my van in neutral, and I revved up that engine. <laughs> I, I, I put it in drive, and I held the brake down, tried to power brake those front tires. I just owned it. You should have seen my daughter, Hannah. as an, She was a freshman at the time. She was seat, sitting in the back seat. All I saw her was go like this. She's ducking. <laughs> She's like, Dad! Then I said, honey, we might be on TV. I even, I just wound down the windows. I said, if I'm in it, I'm owning it. And I'm driving down. I was waving at people, waving at, there was kids along the way. They were laughing at us. I was like, yeah. Somehow I didn't fit into that picture. Why? Because I didn't belong there. I didn't own a 66 Nova and 68 RS SS327 rally stri- uh, stripes and rally wheels. Oh boy, if I could though, I would have owned that. Christ came. He should have owned it. If he was thrown into a parade that a bunch of no names, no recognition, his birth didn't go viral on social media. He humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. John said it this way, John 1, 14, he says, Jesus became flesh and blood and dwelt among us. And then Eugene Peterson says it this way in the message, Jesus became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. And praise God for that. Praise God for that. Jesus moved into our neighborhood. Verse 7 says, he made himself nothing. The God of the universe got zero notoriety and little fanfare other than a teenage mother with a few stinky sheep and straw that was meant for farm animals. There was no birth notice in Jerusalem news that said royalty had arrived. He came because he wanted to give us a better life. He wanted to take this life, this birth and exponentially change it to one to the second power. You see, we were born with a sin nature that needed help. Without Christ, we are headed to hell because of our sin. And Jesus knew from the foundation of the world, Revelation 13, 8 said he has been slain from the foundation of the world. He knew that someone had to come and he was willing to come to take our sin to the cross. If Jesus didn't come at Christmas, you and I would be doomed to hell forever. So he came for a better life. Someone had to rescue us from our lost condition. So Jesus has this conversation 
with a man called Nicodemus. And he's trying to explain to him what it means to be born to the second power. Turn to John chapter 3. Jesus came. Now he's telling him, okay, this is why I came. Look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 3. Someone had to rescue us. And so he meets this man called Nicodemus. And he's trying to explain, this is what it means to be born to the second power. Look at, look at John chapter 3. Look at verses 1 to 8. John 3 says this, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from where? God. No one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with what? Him. Look at verse 3 of John chapter 3. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of what? God, unless they are what? What's it say? Unless they are born again. Like, and Nicodemus, he's a very intelligent person. So this threw him for a loop. How can I be born again if I'm already born? And why do I need born again to see the kingdom of God? Like, his mind, being religious, allowed me the kingdom of God. Doing good things. Reading the Bible. Praying. Reading the Pentateuch, understanding the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, understanding and, and devoting his life to, to studying and teaching and praying and reading. Like he thought that's how you get to God. And Jesus is like blowing him out of the water. Like, what do you mean I got to be born again? So look what happens next. Look what he says in verse four. Nicodemus asked him, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely, he said, they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Think about that for a second. How in the world can someone that's already born, imagine, imagine for a second, imagine you who still have your mom's living by God's grace. Imagine going back to your mom as an adult saying, mom, I got to be born again. Like, good luck with that one, huh? I got to crawl back in your womb. Like, like I'm sure that we'd be more a pain the second time around. And so Nicodemus, he's never heard anything like this. How can you be born again? Like Jesus, what are you talking? And by the way, why was Jesus, why was Nicodemus drawn to Nic- Jesus or Nicodemus drawn to Jesus? Because he saw something about him that he didn't have. He noticed that there was something different about Jesus. And as he looked at Jesus, he knew that, 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 that when he spoke, people listened. He knew that when Jesus breathe that people were right there. He knew that when Jesus was willing to pray that people were healed and he began to hear and he had to see that something was different about this man called Jesus. It was different than what his walk was with what he would call the Lord. And so he asked him these questions and look what Jesus, look what Jesus says next. Jesus answered in verse five, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of what? Water and the what? Okay, look again. Come on, you got to help me out. You, this is so important. Put your, just take a look. Open your Bibles up. Look at John chapter 3 and verse 5. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of what? Water and the what? Spirit. And then Jesus said, Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. And then he tells Nicodemus, You should not be surprised at, at my saying, You must be what? What's it say? born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. 
Nicodemus, by the way, was a very religious man. And let me just say something about Pharisees. Sometimes we think about Pharisees. We always think about whitewashed tombs. And we think about these radical people that didn't want to learn, that that weren't humble. Listen, Nicodemus wasn't like that. There were a handful of Pharisees that were honestly trying to find truth. I believe Nicodemus was this kind of man. In fact, I believe that he was one of those devoted students. and, and, And he was respected during his time. And I know that there are many Pharisees that lived in such a way that they wanted to honor the Bible, the first five books. They spent hours reading the Bible, studying it and praying. In fact, there were probably only a few thousand alive during this time because of the sacrifice they were willing to take to be a Pharisee. He was part of the Jewish ruling council. Here's what that means. He was one of the select 70 people during this time that was a Pharisee and that was part of the religious ruling Jewish council. He would be for us today. Let's let's bring it modern day. His role would be much like what a U.S. senator or Supreme Court justice is for us. He was very important. And you just don't get that spot by being by by not and during this time being respected by your peers. He also came to Jesus at night. Why? Because he was uncertain. Like, he's looking at Jesus saying, something's different about you. I I just can't go to you because, but, but something was drawing him. Something was pulling him to Jesus. So he went at night to not be publicly picked out or seen by other Pharisees. And so Jesus says to him, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. We can't re-enter our mother's womb. And he says, you must be born of water earthly to your mom and of the spirit. You must have a spiritual birth too. So what's the term born again mean? Here's what it means in the original. If you were just literally translate this in Greek, it would say this. You must be born from above or born again from above. Not only born here, but you must be born again from above. So in order to be reborn to the second power. It's got to come from out of this world. And the way it comes from out of this world is by having a God who was out of this world coming to us and trusting in him through Jesus Christ. And then Jesus says this. Look what he says in verse 7. He's very emphatic. In fact, in the language, it's an emphatic statement. Chapter (coughs) 3 and verse 7. Jesus said, you should not be surprised at me saying, am I saying you must be born again. He doesn't say it's a good idea to be born again. He doesn't say you should be born again. He says you must be born again because the second birth is greater than our first birth. And by the way, I believe that Nicodemus was born again. I believe he was so moved and challenged and compelled by Jesus' words, I believe that he was born again. It doesn't say here, but here's why I believe that. Turn to John chapter 19. Hold your finger here and turn to John chapter 19. Look at John chapter 19 and verse 38. John 19 and verse 38. Jesus has been crucified. He's on the cross. This is before he goes to the tomb and is resurrected. And so let's jump into that scenario. He's dead. He's on the cross. He needs to be put in a grave. He needs to be buried in a tomb. And then it says this in John chapter 19 and verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. Look at verse 39. He was accompanied by who? Come on, help me out. He was accompanied by who? 
Nicodemus. The man, it says, who earlier had visited Jesus at what? Night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Let me tell you, he would not be there unless he was born again. See, something changed when he trusted in Jesus. Later in this discussion in John chapter 3, one of the most familiar verses known to humans. John 3.16. So we have this discourse. Jesus is explaining what it means to be born again. And then John says this in John 3.16. Look what he says. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not what? Perish, but have what? Eternal life. You see, when we believe and trust in the Son, we repent of our sins, we take this free gift, we have eternal life. And by the way, let's pause, let's just hold there. Once you come to Christ and trust in Jesus Christ, how eternal is eternal? How everlasting is everlasting? Through the years, people ask me, Pastor Jim, Pastor Jim, is eternal life eternal life? And I say, what part of eternal isn't eternal? What part of everlasting isn't everlasting? You know what everlasting means in the Greek? Everlasting. You know what eternal means in the Greek? Eternal. By the way, Christ would never take back something that he gave you. And we can't earn it. He gave it to us. It's free. We can't work our way out. So here's what we like to do. We like to think of somehow, I'll earn my way. I'll do these good works to get to, to Jesus. In order to get to Jesus, I'll do good work. And so we, what we would call, we front load the gospel. We put all these things in front of us. I'm going to do this, do this, do this. I can get the gospel. I can get salvation. And so some of us, we work our way. And then the other of us do. You know what we do? We backload the gospel. We put this backpack on. We try to keep salvation. I'll keep doing this. I'll keep doing that. I'll keep doing this. Keep doing this. Keep doing this. And then I'll have salvation. Listen to me. You can't front load the gospel. You can't back load the gospel. It's all the work of Jesus Christ. There is no good work that you could ever do or continue to do to keep your salvation. If Jesus gave it to you and you trusted in him, it's yours eternally. Praise God for that. And that's what he's saying. That's what it means to be born again. Nicodemus was a religious person though. He was front-loading the gospel. He was doing, 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 because that's all he understood. If I keep reading, if I keep studying, if I keep being a Pharisee, if I keep checking off the law, then I will get salvation. Then I will get eternal life. He's a religious person. Religion is due. Work for it. Christianity is done. We receive it. Listen, is that good news? Christ did the work. We don't need to do the work. We just need to to trust in the work of the cross of Christ and believe that he was resurrected from the grave. You and I don't need to earn his love. He acted first. It doesn't say if you obey me, I love you. It just says, I have loved you. God so loved the world that he gave. It doesn't say, hey, if you do good things, I'll love you. No, he just gave his son. And by the way, he will never love you more or love you less. Any condition you're in. He loves you just as much in your worst case scenario of sin as he does when you're on the mountaintop high with him. It doesn't change his love for you. It's not conditional and it never changes. Our obedience to him does not make God love us more or love us less. It's not like, 
that, that we have to pick God. He chose us. In fact, the Bible tells us that we're elected before the foundation of the world. It says that we've been chosen in him before the foundation of the world. It says that we've been predestined in him before the foundation of the world. So before the earth was created, before he was slain on the cross in Revelation 13, it says God chose, God's elected. And he put everything in motion. And there'll come this point in time where we receive it, where we re- believe it, where we hear it, where someone speaks it. And then we trust in something that he's, God put us on his team. We didn't pick God. He picked us. Why? Think about that for a second. God did not pick you because you are awesome. God picked you because he is awesome. Man, praise God for that. God does not pick us or love us based on our abilities. It's not like Sandlock Baseball. Or, you know, back in the day when I grew up, we used to square dance in gym class. You know, I hated it. But we had to do it. And so what happened? Girls would be on one side, guys would be on the other. And you look across there, and you know what you do? You'd count down. One, two, three, four, five, six, try to get the cute girl. One, two, three, five, six, seven. One, two, three, five, six, seven. It isn't like we picked here. It's not like baseball. Back in the day when we played sandlot baseball, we used to play a lot of that. And, and so you'd grab a bat and you throw the bat and the, and the other captain would grab it. And you try to work your way up the bat, scissors, arms. Any of you guys remember that? You try to pick team, get on top of the bat and you would try to win. And so you would pick and then, and you, and so you had one captain, another captain, and then there was the players. And so you would pick. I like Cam. He's a good shortstop. He's got a good arm. That guy can go yard. I'm, I'm taking him. Like, oh man, he, he's, he's got a good glove. I'm, I'm going to take him. He'd be a good shortstop. Have you ever been like, went through that process? It just stinks, especially when you're the last guy. Like, anybody want him? God doesn't pick us based on our abilities. By the way, he's the one that gave us our abilities. And the abilities that you have are perfect in every way. God gave them to you. Own those. He put us on the team. We don't pick the team. He chose us first. He chose us. Like, think about that for a second. We didn't choose our father. He chose us. He moved from his world to our world to love us and show us the way home. So what are the benefits then? Like, we've been talking about what it means to be born in the second power. What does it mean to be born again? What does it mean? Why do I want to be reborn? Like, I've already been born once to Beverly Nutter. Why do I want to be born again? Like, God, that was enough. Like, isn't that enough? No, it isn't. There's so much more. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want a personal relationship with me, listen, listen to me, you must be born again. And there are benefits to being born again. And they're out of this world good. Here's the really good news. Once you trust in Jesus as your Lord, it's a huge game changer. You now have the living God in you, with you. You're reborn, and God takes residence in your heart. And by the way, let me just say that. I, I say this a lot, but you, you need to ask, and I, I often ask myself, Jim, since Jesus, and since God lives in me, the Holy Spirit lives in me, There should be a difference between me and the person beside me where God doesn't live in me. Like somehow, if you're a musician and you have God in you and the person beside you doesn't have God in you, then your music capabilities should be way more than theirs. Why? Because you got the God of the universe helping you. If you're a painter and God is in you, You should be a much better painter in someone where God isn't in because they're just relying on their own ability. We have the God of the universe. If you are a preacher, if you are 
teacher, if you are a welder, if you are a mother, if you are a father, if you are a son, if you are a daughter, if you are a guitarist, you should be so much more than someone who doesn't know Christ. So ask yourself this question. How often do people come to you because they see something in you that is different than what's in everyone else? See, that's why Nicodemus came to Jesus. He kept seeing him and it perplexed him. He's like, I'm reading God's word too. I'm studying too and I'm praying too. And I, but when you do it, it's different. When's the last time someone walked up to you and said, man, there's something about your life that's different. You got something that I don't have. That should happen on a regular occurrence. Because if God is in us, we should be distinctly different than someone where God isn't in. Amen? Let me ask you, ask yourself, who's the last person that came to you and said, there's something different about you? The way you work in the workplace, the way you weld, your work ethic, your attitude. Like, how do you respond in such difficult situations with such faith? How is that possible? And you can say, it's not me, it's God in me. And so Nicodemus came to Jesus because he saw something different. So what is it that happens to us? When God lives in us, he supernaturally empowers us. The Holy Spirit does for us what we could never do on our own. He helps us to jog our memories. He jogs our imagination. And normally what happens is when we spend time in his word, the Holy Spirit gives you and I an unfair advantage. By the way, take advantage of that unfair advantage. See, most of us, all of us, have been born to a mother, earthly born, water born. And most of us have five senses. But when the Holy Spirit lives in us, he is the sixth sense for us. We are new creations, Paul said in 2 Second, Second Corinthians chapter 5 and 17. He says, the old has come, the new has come. Somehow, when someone looks at your life, say, wow, you're new. There's something about you that's different. And if they're not asking that question, you got to ask the question. Why? Why isn't there a difference in my life? How come there's no difference between me and someone who doesn't know Christ? The Holy Spirit also naturally gifts us supernaturally. We don't have to be limited by our own ability. The Holy Spirit makes us wiser, makes us more intelligent because we can call on him. He's the teacher. We have this teacher. We don't have to go to college. We don't have to go to grad school. We don't have to go to grade school. We don't have to read. We don't have to take a conference. We don't have to listen to a podcast. We have the teacher that goes with us and he's called the Holy Spirit. And all we got to do is ask. And he's constantly teaching us. And someone who doesn't know Christ doesn't have the Holy Spirit, the teacher with them. That's born to the second power. What's born to the second power? What's the benefit? Eternal life. You see, every single one of us, when we're born to our mothers, we are going to hell because of our sin. But when you are reborn, your destination isn't hell, it's heaven because of Jesus and what he did on the cross. Like, amen? You won't be fatherless. Some of you have horrible father situations. Some of you don't know who your father is. Let me tell you, I'll tell you who your father is if you're a Christ follower. His name is God the Father. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. He will walk with you the rest of your life and he will turn your life into something good. He promises that. That's what it means to be born again. What's it mean to be born again and born to the second power? Your sins no longer damn you to hell and damn me to hell. Praise God. You plus the Holy Spirit is a majority. 
So John tried to describe this after Jesus said in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. By the way, if you bought, uh, go to Hot Now right now in California, on the cups, on the bottom of the cups, they have John 3, 16. Look at, look at John chapter 3 and verse 17 after he explains that God so loved the world. And then, then, then John says, for God did not send his son Jesus into the world at Christmas to condemn the world. He didn't come and say, guilty, sinner, <laughs> sinner, you don't have a chance. Oh. Look what he says. He did not send his son into the world. To be born in a manger, to condemn the world, but to what the world? What's it say? Save the world. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son at Christmas to merely appoint a choosing finger at us. He came to save us. See, some of you in this room, I've been preaching for 20 years here, and I see familiar faces. It would break my heart to know that you stand before God one day and you heard a message like this, or you heard something from your father, your mother, or your, or your brother, your sister, or your friend, and they've been telling you, you must be saved, you must be born again, and you stand before the father one day at the great white throne judgment, because that's where unsaved people go, and you are in for the surprise of your life, and he is going to say from, to you, depart from me, I never knew you. But, 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 but Jesus, I went to Grace Community. I went out in the blitz yesterday at Christmas. I sang the really, really awesome worship songs and, and I, I served in Kid City and, and, I, and I read my Bible and, and I and I and I, I did all these good things. He's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. It's not our works that saves us. It's trusting in Jesus Christ alone. It would break my heart if some of you in this room and in the link and across this world wouldn't trust in Jesus Christ after hearing such good news today. That is just heartbreaking for me to think that you wouldn't trust in Jesus Christ. You see, why am I so passionate about this? It's because Jesus rescued me when I was five years old. And I have had Christ with me for 48 years. And it's resurrected my life. And I want you to have what I have. Jesus is the hope of the world. I have a friend that Ann and I knew from our college and seminary days. We went to church with him. He was the Nicodemus. And if you were to look at this person's life, you would have thought he's saved. Yet something happened in his life that he realized that he was not born again. Watch this. My name is Dave Alcorn, and this is my story. On October 7, 2012, a totally unexpected event occurred in my life. It was unexpected from my perspective, but definitely not from God's. That day will always be a memorial to God's patience, His infinite love and mercy, and His relentless pursuit of a stubborn heart. During that Sunday, God led me to repent of my sin. He saved me. I accepted what, what Christ did on the cross for me personally. I was no longer playing games. I was, I was a child of God. This was unexpected because for almost 40 years, I had been faking a relationship with Jesus Christ. From all outward appearances, I was a believer. I behaved like a Christian did. I said the words that a Christian is supposed to say. I truly believed I was born again. My heart was that blinded and hard. I was even raised in a Christian home. I made a profession of faith when I was in second grade during Sunday school. During my elementary and high school years, 
though I would have frequent struggles with assurance of my salvation. But I was always able to shrug it off pretty easily. I would go through a mental checklist. Yes, I know I'm a sinner. Yes, my sin is condemning me to hell. Yes, Jesus died in my place to pay for my sins. Yes, I accepted Christ into my heart. So I'm fine. I'm saved. Those struggles became less and less frequent. And looking back, it's because my heart was getting harder and harder. My dad was on the faculty at Grace College in Winter Lake, Indiana, so it seemed natural that I would go there for my studies. I started out as a pre-med, pre-pharmacy major, but at the end of my freshman year, I felt called to switch my major to biblical studies, thinking I would end up on the mission field somewhere. Shortly after graduation, Anita and I got married, and we both felt that God wanted us to serve Him in, in four missions. So I enrolled in Grace Seminary and got my master's degree. We were appointed by a mission board to head to Norway. We tried raising support for four years. God ended that by me making some very sinful decisions. Looking back, it's because I wasn't a believer. In reality, how can you tell somebody about Jesus and plant churches if you don't know Jesus personally yourself? All that Christian activity I was engaged in was, was just empty. I was just going through the motions. I settled into a career in the business world, but kept on playing church, teaching Sunday school, being a leader in our local church, just going through the routines of Christianity. I am so thankful for my wife and her spiritual sensitivity. You see, I was content at our other church, but Anita wasn't. She felt God led her to say to me, hey, let's go hear Jim preach. So Easter 2009 was our first service at Grace Community Church. God knew he wanted me in a different environment where he could continue his pursuit of my rebellious heart. Once we became regular attendees here, we became quickly involved. We volunteered in Kid City, we joined a small group, we were involved in blitzes, I even joined the church. I'm still amazed at how deceived I was that I was able to present a believable testimony. Even now I feel bad about lying to Pastor Jeremiah since he was the one who interviewed us as part of the membership process. The emphasis on men's ministry here at Grace, I believe, is one reason God brought us here. God's used many men here to chip away at my hard heart, both by the words that they say and, more importantly, the way they live out their faith. Fast forward to fall of 2012. In the weeks leading up to October 7th, I decided that I wanted to do Fight Club. I needed spiritual and physical discipline in my life. and Fight Club was a way to make that change. Little did I know that God had a much bigger change in mind. Well, that first week in October was also the Wild at Heart Men's Retreat in Maryland. And at first I didn't think I was going to be able to go, but some circumstances changed the last minute and I was able to sign up before the, the cutoff. The key conversations occurred in our travel back and forth, sitting in a car for eight, nine, ten hours, listening to people tell what God has done in their life. I distinctly remember hearing one guy share how he became a Christian just a few years earlier and it just dawned on me, it's like, I've gone through my life knowing these things but I've never experienced that freedom. Pastor Jeremy was in our car and he just happened to read the passage from Matthew that Jim was going to preach on the next Sunday, the next day actually. Those words just echoed in my head and I know that night 
the Spirit was using the Word of God to convict my heart. That morning when I woke up, I just knew that something was going to happen that day. I had no idea what, but by the time I got to the service and the service started, I could just, you know, those walls of, of self-deception, those walls of my doubts, that, I mean, everything just came crashing down. I'm usually a pretty good note taker, but that morning it was just very short. I had a few paragraphs and then a couple of sentences. By the middle of the sermon, you know, I was ready. It was time to make a change, so I couldn't wait for Jim to stop the, the message and open up the, the floor for the invitation. I was up front. I was before God. He gave me the, the gift of faith that led to repentance. I confessed my sins. I accepted what Christ did on, on the cross for me. And for the first time in my life, I can truly celebrate Christmas. Part of our family's Christmas tradition, we would always read the Christmas story. Until this year, even though it's been a beautiful story and is a beautiful story, they were just empty words. But this year, I can truly celebrate the birth of my Savior because I have made the choice to bring Jesus home. How, how about you? Is there evidence in your life Are you just going through the motions? Is your life like this? Do you have a passion for Jesus that can't be put out? Jeremiah 29 says, There's a fire burning in my heart. It's burning so much that indeed I can't contain it. Do you go to bed at night thinking about Jesus and waking up? Do you spend more time on ESPN and CNN do you talk more about Jesus than you do politics? Would people come to you and say, there's something different about you? Or do they come to you and say, hey, I need some advice with politics. What do you think about our president? Or do they come to you and say, what do you think about Jesus? I've been thinking about Jesus and I've been watching your life and there's something different about you. Have you been saved for so long that you don't even remember what you've been saved from? Has your heart become callous? Are you going to be the next Dave that stands before God one day and he's going to look at you and say, depart from me, I never knew you. Are you banking on your parents taking you to church as a little kid? Are you one of those people and they ask, are you born again? Yeah, you know, I've known God my whole life. Listen, the Bible tells that even the demons believe and they shudder that there's a God and their eternity is hell. Jesus said this. I didn't say this. Jesus said, you must be born again. Some of you are just cycling. You're just going through this cycle and, and some of you are hearing this right now and, and you're trying to find a way to get out of here right now because the Spirit of God is speaking to you. Let me tell you, don't let your pride get in the way of Jesus saving your soul. All of us have been born of the flesh. But Jesus said, we got to be born of the Spirit too. And when you are, everything changes. I don't tell you this because I get paid to tell you. I tell you this because Jesus has radically transformed my life and you're not going to shut me up. I'll be 90 years old and I'll be gumming people to Jesus Christ. <laughs> Why? Because it's true. There's no life that will ever match a life with Christ. Jesus has always been my father, God, and he has never 
left me. And I will tell you that until I die. Why? Because Jesus wants us to. The Bible tells us this, that we have all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our sin and our sin nature that came to us, that was passed down from, from, from men to men to men, sends us to hell. There are people in this room, some of you are going to hell because you refuse to trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans six twenty eight, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus himself said in John 14, I am the way, I am the truth. No man gets to the Father except through me. You can't earn your way to God. Going to church won't save you. Being a good person won't save you. It's only trusting in the work of Christ on the cross. Then Paul said this. He tried to explain this to to the the, the Romans and and, and the, the, the religious crowd. And he says this. He says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our hearts that he was raised from the dead, we will be saved. Then he said later, he's trying to figure this all out because they were asking questions about this. He said, it's by grace through faith that we are saved, not works. Why? Because you and I would boast about it. Look what I did. Christ already did the work. Christmas is his homecoming. Christ came to rescue us and save us. And he wants to do that right now. Behind me is a tree, and throughout all of our services today, on this tree is, a, is an ornament that says, Born to the Second Power, and on the back is Christmas 2015. And all through our services today, we've given people, we've had a couple hundred of these, and there's over a hundred people already responded. And, and what they're doing is, it's not this ornament that saves you. But we, we want to give you a reminder so that every Christmas when someone says and asks you, has there been a moment in your life where you've trusted in Jesus solely on your own, not because your parents wanted to, not because your dad wanted, your mother wanted, not because your husband wanted, because you trusted. Do you know? Are you sure? Do you know beyond a shadow of doubt that you have trusted in Christ? Today could be that day. We'd love to give you a gift, give you this ornament, and then give you this 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 window sticker as a reminder that you put on your car, you peel it off, and it's a reminder that you've been born to the second power. It's also a reminder to say, I need to live like Christ. Would you do something with me? Would you stand and and bow your heads and close your eyes as we wrap up our service here? Please don't leave the room. I'm going to ask you a question today. Do you know if you're born again? Or are you just a religious person who's, who's serving and doing and, and it's just an intellectual knowledge? Are you like Dave in this video who, who had deceived himself? Or are you here today and you're saying, Pastor Jim, I'm not like that. I know I'm lost. I need rescue and I want to come to Christ. Well, listen, the Bible is clear. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Lord and repent of our sins, we will be saved. How do you do that? Well, this is how. Confession is saying something back that you already believe. When we confess, we're saying what we already know to be true. And and so we do that through prayer. And so if you want to trust in Jesus Christ, if you want to know that you know that that you are born again, then I encourage you to, to, to confess with your mouth through this prayer. Quietly, just say, dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. 
I fall short of you. Please forgive me of my sin, God. Please, please save me of my sin. I trust in you, Jesus. I repent of my sin and I'll go in another direction. I surrender my life and my will. I will serve you the rest of my life. Listen to me. When you do that, here's what it means. It means you just trusted in Jesus Christ. And the free gift of salvation, you've just received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It can never be taken away from you. Never, ever. And so God, I pray in this moment, I pray that as you have already moved in our hearts, I pray that now the next step is boldness. Here, see, here's the next step. Next step is saying, I want the world to know that I'm a Christ follower. And here in a moment, I'm going to have you give you a chance in the link. You're going to meet Pastor Dan in the back, and he's going to show you how to come over here. We're going to ask you to come and get an ornament. And here in the main, I'm going to, I, want, I want you to grab an, an ornament as a reminder. But here's, here's where some of you have just trusted in Christ. But right now, here's what you're thinking. Some of you are thinking, what will dad think? What will my wife think? What will Jim think? What will all those people think that I've been serving with for 15 years? What will my friend think? What, what, what will my colleague think? Well, I, I can't go up and get that because I'm afraid what my dad will think because I, I was raised in a Christian family and it'll make my dad look bad. What, what, what will mom think? Listen, it doesn't matter what man thinks. It matters what Jesus thinks. So here's what I want you to do. First step is to let the world know that, that I'm following Christ. I'm not ashamed of it. And I've been in this cycle of insanity for too long. And I'm realizing that's just been a head knowledge. And, but today it's different. I'm born again. I'm trusting the work of the cross. So I'm going to ask you to come here in a second. And it, it might mean that you have, to, you have to work your way across and out. It might mean that you just jump over chairs. It, it might mean that, that, that you have to bolt to the front. Please, don't leave this room unless you know that you know that Christ is your Lord. We're about to sing a song. And so, Lord, I ask you to move. And if you want to come and say, hey, today was the day I trusted in Jesus. I want you to come to my stage left. And I want you to come and grab an ornament. And we're going to celebrate. So, so just come as we sing in Jesus' name. Amen.